0: uh, I'm telling you, today is a special day. Uh, I'll tell you you why I think that in just a minute. But I want you guys to know every time we come into this room, we come here for the Lord. We come here to seek Him, to praise Him, to lift Him up. And we also come for Him to speak to us. And I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt, I think He speaks to us all the time in this room. But I think that today, we have a special opportunity to hear from the Lord, from a man who has walked with the Lord for longer than I can imagine. And I, I wanna make sure our hearts are prepared for this because it is a, it's a powerful word and a powerful opportunity. So I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna pray that God speaks and I'm gonna pray that you hear it. Not here, but in here because I think the Lord can change your life this morning. Amen, do you believe that? All right, so let's pray. Father God, I just come before you, Lord. God, I worship you. You are holy, you are worthy. Father, we cannot imagine your power, your goodness, your grace. And this morning, Father, I'm struggling to imagine your love for me, to truly grasp it. And I pray, O Holy Spirit, that you will do the thing that you do where you take truth and you take the word of God and you pierce it into the depths of our souls this morning. Change us, heal us, transform us into the image of Jesus. I pray, Father, have your way in every way in every form this morning in your holy name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I'm telling you, There's a small part of me that's a little disappointed because I am ready to be back on the stage and preaching my heart out because it's the thing I love to do most in this world. But I can promise you, I can promise you today, the Lord has something powerful for you. I I, I very rarely say this, but I just said in the first service, and it was one of the most powerful gospel messages I've ever heard in my entire life. Um... Dr. Ekman is here with us this morning. I know that nobody knows Dr. Ekman, uh, but partly that's because he's one of the most humble men that I've met. Uh, Dr. Ekman has a bio far longer than I could ever remember, uh, but he was a pastor for many, many years. Uh, he was a vice president and a dean of uh, students for one of the best seminaries in the country. He's written a ton of books. He's got a ton of Bible studies, and all that stuff is fantastic. Fantastic. But that is not why he's here today. He's here today because this man, I have never met a man who cares more about your relationship with Jesus than he does. And he doesn't even know you. God has opened up the door for Dr. Ekman to take a significant part in the growth of the underground church in China. He would never tell you the few of the things that I'm about to tell you. But the impact that he has had and his books have had and his teachings have had in China are significant. Um uh, many of the training the pastoral training things that he's developed are basically mandatory for the underground illegal church of China, which is still the fastest growing church in the world. Um, he's just an anointed man he's, he's one of those people he's walked with the Lord for so long it's, it's, it just rolls off of him, and I'm excited for him this morning and um, if you will do me a massive favor and welcome Dr. Ekman to the stage this morning.
1: those are appreciated words, very, very nice words. And I must say that I won't be able to, at my funeral, hear such very nice words. (laughs) So it's good to hear them now (laughs) while I can say thank you. It's good to be with you. I've been in North Carolina a few times. I've eaten grits once in my life and I'm planning to eat grits a second time in my life so I can fulfill the full cultural experience of North Carolina. And you may ask, why are you up there with a sport coat and a tie? It's because I also want you to have a cultural experience. Now we're staying in Mooresville and I understand this place is called Denver and I would like you to do something for the fun of it. It's absolutely fun to do, which is later this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow as you meet somebody you don't know, just walk up and ask them if you could ask them a question. Now, I suspect you can do that in the Southeast and in North Carolina, because everybody here appears to be polite. So that being the case, probably the person will say, well, go ahead. If I tried that in California, I'd probably be beaten up, but I think it's safe to do here. And here's the question you should ask them. Why do I exist. I'm not referring to myself. I'm referring to the person that I'm talking to. Why do I exist? Why do you exist? And these are some of the answers you will get. And these are great questions because nobody asks them, and people are thinking about them all the time in the back of their brain. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Well, one person will say, I exist to pay my bills. That's the purpose of my life. The second person might say, I exist to get educated. The third person might say, well, this is why I exist. Because 14 billion years ago, there was this big bang. And out of the Big Bang came the universe. And then 3.5 billion years ago, life started by sheer chance, pure chance and accident. And over that 3.5 billion years, chance after chance after chance occurred. And here I am, (laughs) a big chance. And then he may say, and I can say that confidently because I have a PhD. And then if I were asking the question, I would respond and say, I have one of those too. And I was educated beyond my intelligence, and I think you were too. (laughs) I mean, this is brutal, but said kindly some of the most intelligent people I know believe some of the dumbest stuff. <laughs> it's a reality of life. So we have the person who says, I'm the cosmic accident. Another person may say, my reason to exist is to raise my family. Or, really, the best one of all is, and probably most honest, I am clueless i simply don't know why i exist there is a person named satan who is not just satisfied with people being clueless he wants them to be profoundly ignorant of certain realities he wants humanity to indulge in self-hate. He has a murderous intent. He absolutely hates humanity, and he would slaughter every human being if God did not hold him back like a junkyard dog being held back. Murderous. And he wants human beings to be obliterated. And since he cannot physically destroy us, He will destroy us so that we don't understand who we are. He will destroy us when it comes to the fact that humanity is two genders, male and female. He'll attempt to obliterate that. He will try and drive people towards suicide, towards despair, so that they will do what he would like to do to them, kill themselves. He wants them to drive them, be driven beyond the point of, I am clueless to, I want to die. But the question remains, why do you exist? And the answer, the wondrous answer is, to be loved by God the Father and God the Son. That's why you exist, to be loved by God the Father and God the Son. But after making that statement, to be loved by God the Father and God the Son, there is a problem. And it goes with the problem of being a pastor. I personally believe, I've been a pastor for about 16 years, I've trained pastors and Christian counselors for over... 25 years. And I believe there's a real problem. And that is, conceptually, Christians can say, I exist to be loved by God the Father and Son. But really, there's a further question that has to be answered, which is, how deeply are you Loved, How deeply are you loved? And we're going to attempt to answer that. How deeply are you loved? Deeply enough to be considered a gift from God the Father to his Son. This is John chapter 17 you're looking at. Jesus is praying, and this prayer was actually spoken as he walked from the upper room, walked down a road towards the brook Kidron, and he's going to cross that brook and walk up to the Garden of Gethsemane. While he's walking down the road, he lifts his eyes to heaven, which is the standard way you pray in the Old Testament. You lift your arms and your eyes to heaven, and you speak to the God of heaven and earth. Eyes wide open. Now, we do a peculiar thing because we're largely Gentile churches. We close our eyes while we pray. While yet in the Old Testament, you keep your eyes wide open. Why do we close our eyes to pray? Because Christianity sprung up an astonishing cultural event. Sprung up, spread all through the Greco Roman world, spread all through the Mediterranean area. And what the Christians did, those who came out of paganism, out of idolatry, what they did, when they prayed, because everywhere they looked there was an idol, they would close their eyes and they would pray. The reason they closed their eyes is they did not want anyone to think they were praying to a stick, to a piece of metal, to a carved object. They wanted them to know that they were praying to the God of heaven and earth who cannot be manifested as an idol. So Jesus is looking up to heaven and he prays, Father, The hour has come, glorify thy Son, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. John 17 almost is like a contract. Christ is going to go to the cross, and now he is going over with God the Father what they have agreed to, And what was behind the act that would occur the next morning when he was crucified. And he starts out by saying, glorify me so I can glorify you. The cross is the most significant expression of who the Trinity is in the entire existence of the Trinity. God the Father will have his son, God, die on a cross in a human body for humanity. It is astonishing because Christ is the creator of everything. And the creation has rebelled and sinned. And he who is the creator, he who is rebelled against, dies for his creation. That is astounding. That is fantastic. God died for his creation. (laughs) Wondrous. If anyone, if you hear anyone complaining about the cruel God of this world, if you have the backbone for it, say it with a smile. There is only one person who paid the bills for this world, and that is God Himself in the person of His Son. You'll never pay a bill for the sin of this world. What you have to decide for is a Savior who died for you. The glorious event of the cross. Then He proceeds. Even as you gave him authority over all humanity, that to all whom you have given him, notice it's in the third person. It reads like a contract. To all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So there is a transaction involved in the cross the Son goes to the cross, the Father will give him persons. John chapter 17, verse 6. He continues his prayer. I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. The men and women, actually. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Next verse. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Notice over and over again. He's repeating the thought. You are giving me the people that were originally yours. You are giving me the gift of this group of humanity that was originally yours. Now, think about it. Could you imagine Christmas for the Trinity? What would God the Father give to his son for Christmas? The best gift he could think of is you. My wife Carol and I have been married for about 51 years, happily married, best of friends. On our 25th anniversary, I knew she wanted a grandfather clock. 25 years ago, they were over $1,000. I searched around the Bay Area, got the grandfather clock that I thought she would like, brought it home. She knew nothing about it. Then I had our, our two teenage children bring her in the front door. And it happened. She cried. That to a man means you've done a good job. (laughs) Got her in the tears. But what was the motive behind it? I wanted to give her what she wanted and I wanted to give her the best I could find out of love. The Father is giving you as a gift to His Son. What does that say about you? Probably what it says is you don't know yourself. I have counseled thousands of people all over the world, Christian people, and the one thing that I would say with great assurance, people don't know who they are. Most people are simply confused about themselves. And if they define themselves to you, they would define themselves by what they don't like about themselves. That's how people actually operate on the inside. On the outside, you may not see it. On the inside, that's how they operate. They really don't know who they are, and they define themselves by their defects. But God knows who we are. He sees through the confusion. He sees us. And as he sees us, there is a sense of delight and pleasure because he can distinguish between the sickness of sin, which is within us, and the patient who needs to be cured. He does not hate the patient. He loves the patient. And he wants to cure that patient. So in John 17:9, it goes on. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on the behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. A number of years ago, I was taken out for a birthday dinner in a restaurant overlooking San Francisco Bay, looking towards beautiful San Francisco. It was night, absolutely gorgeous night, and they were celebrating me. But they weren't talking about me. These were Christian folks, and what they were talking about, there were two other couples, they were talking about election. And I thought to myself, I'm here my wife is paying for this meal say something nice about me so thank you again (laughs) and then they turned to me because I'm their resident Bible teacher and said explain election and I was slightly irritated at the time so I said I'll explain election to you if you can explain to me why you married your wife. And then I turned to one of the men, Gary, and said, Gary, why did you marry Sandy? And he said, because she's intelligent. And I said, Gary, there are billions of really bright women in this world. That is not a qualifier to marry that individual person. Why did you marry your wife? And then he said, she's funny. And I said, Rhonda, the wife of the other man who was with us, Rhonda is a lot funnier than Sandy. (laughs) Why didn't you marry Rhonda? (laughs) Now, Gary's a bright guy. So he cut this torture short and he said, I married Sandy because she was Sandy and I love her. Well, let me explain election. God chose you because he knows you, he loves you, he values you, and he wants you to be part of his family. That's the way it is. And that's about as complicated as it gets. You're loved. And you're a gift from the Father to the Son via the cross. You are the Father's gift to his Son. That the, world might, that the word might be fulfilled. This is John 18, chapter later, verse 9. That the word might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you have given me, I lost none. There is a point where the church is going to be gathered together from off this earth, taken to heaven, brought before God the Father. Christ is going to look at his Father and say, here are those you have given to me, and I have not lost one. That is the reality. That is an important reality. Your character does not determine your salvation. Your character is sending you directly to hell. God's love and God's character guarantees your salvation. A little bit of trust in a reliable God and the gospel message ensures heaven forever not because of your character, your works, your religiosity, but because Christ is a reliable Savior. And if he gave his word, in heaven he will turn to his Father and say, I have not lost one. And you can have all the fears you want but he will not lose one. So how deeply are you loved? You're loved deeply as a gift of the father to the son. You're loved deeply enough to delight the father by the sacrifice of his son. My is in Hebrew I've taught Hebrew forever, the Hebrew Bible. This is my translation of Isaiah 53.10. It's one of those verses that is more than a speed bump. People just break the car and stop when they read it because it's a poem about the death of the Son of God who is called the servant. And in verse 53.10, it says, but Yahweh, that's the Old Testament personal name of God, God the Father, but Yahweh was delighted. Gaphets—that's the Hebrew word—was delighted to crush him, making him sick. In Isaiah 52 and 53, it's a poem about what Christ has done for us, and it describes sin as a sickness. And it describes the servant, the son of God, taking the sickness of sin, as it says in 2 Corinthians, he became sin for us, taking the sickness of sin, absorbing it, so that we we might have the righteousness of God in him, making him sick. If his soul is put as a guilt offering, he will see offspring. He will see, see. Jesus in the gospel speaks of a woman who's having a baby. And after the baby is born, she forgets the pain of childbirth because she's so thrilled with the child. Well, that's exactly what happened at the cross. The cross was the childbirth of the church. And the childbirth was a delight to the father and the son. To bring forth the church through the cross. He will, pro- he will see offspring. He will prolong his days. He'll be raised from the dead. And the delight of Yahweh will prosper. Literally will spring up. It will bring more and more pleasure. Christ and this church will bring more and more pleasure to God the Father. Now, he was delighted to crush his son, and there's some theories about this that are out there explaining the motivation of God. And the motivation is, one of them is, he's cruel. Crushed his son because there's a streak of, of cruelty through the heart of God the Father. Another is, that is the noble thing to do, to die for somebody. The third is, That's his job on the job description of God. Go out and die for somebody. But it is vastly more than that. He was delighted to crush his son because he and his son love you deeply. He and his son love you deeply and want to rescue you from the disease of sin. And the astonishing thing is the cross for them was an event that brought them pleasure not because of the pain but because of the prospect of increasing the family of God so that the love of the Father and the Son can pour out beyond the Trinity and embrace new children of God. How deeply are you loved? Deeply enough that you're a gift from the Father to the Son. Deeply enough that the Father delighted in giving his Son on the cross. But here's the most astounding one of all. Deeply as deeply as God loves his son he loves you. Notice John 17:23 where it says exactly that. Christ says exactly that. I in them and you in me one of the truths of the trinitarian Truth is that every believer is inhabited by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who is the agent who brings their life into our life. So I in them, you and me, that they may be perfected in one. God is one and, we, and the Trinity is one. And we enter into that oneness. That the world, now read this carefully. That the world may recognize personally that you have sent me. As we understand that at the heart of the Trinity, at the heart of God the Father and the Son, is a profound affection and a passionate delight that spills over into our lives and where truth goes from concept to fire in the heart then the world will recognize because of the fact that we feel passionately loved that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Even as you have loved me. The father delights in the son. The father has a passionate affection for the son. The Father loves the Son. The same quality of love that He has for the Son, He has for you. That is astounding. It can only be accepted by faith. And it becomes believable because of the cross. Now, I come from a family of six children. Five boys, one girl. I'm 74 years old and I regret to tell you I was not my mother's favorite. <laughs> my brother Bill was my mother's favorite. And about every other phone call that I have with him it usually ends with don't forget I'm my mother's your mother's favorite. I frankly think that if I'm laying in my coffin, and Bill's still alive, he'll walk by the coffin and say, I'm still the favorite. Because sibling rivalry never goes away, it's just genetic. We, yes, the young lady in the front row says yes, and she's right next to her sister. (laughs) It never ends, it's the poison of life. But there is no sibling rivalry in heaven. Everyone is a favorite in heaven because the same quality of love that the Father has for the Son, He has for the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, for those that He has taken and given to His Son, the same affections there. How deeply are you loved? As deeply as. The Father loves the Son. And out of the depths of that joyous affection. Now here's the problem. There are too many Christians who conceptually buy God likes them. And it's all conceptual. That's not biblical reality. Our hearts should be set on fire by the affection of God for us. He likes you. He likes you. He enjoys you as a person. It is Satan's lie that God's up in heaven having a heart attack all the time over how bad you are. That's Satan's lie. God is up in heaven at peace because he has reconciled us through his son. And he delights in us. It has to go from concept to burning truth. And that's done through faith. And a very good discipleship program called Head to Heart that we put out. It's a discipleship course. And that's called an advertisement. But I want to share two illustrations with you to draw this sermon to a close. A couple months ago, I got an email from a lady in Idaho who was in Head to Heart, and she copied an email she received because she thought the email she received was quite profound. It was from her brother. And her brother had become a monk and the brother has an interesting history. He was married and he had three sons. He has three sons, one of whom is named Hudson. Three sons. And I don't know the back story, but yeah. Oh, and important, very important. He also was a physician, medical doctor. Worked with cancer patients. I don't know the backstory, but obviously his wife died or something else happened and he became a monk. His boys became adults and Hudson got cancer. Now let me read from the email. This is what he wrote. I have prayed frequently, fervently, that I would be allowed to take Hudson's cancer. I reason that God allowed himself to take our brokenness so we could be renewed and healed. So let me take on Hudson's cancer so he can be renewed and live out a full life. I know my plea is not unique because I have known many patients who have told me that they would gladly take on the disease ravaging their children. He's calling the parents of the child being ravished by cancer patients. I know many patients who have told me they would gladly take on the disease ravaging their children. Putting aside for a moment the quote Hail Mary unquote and I got tickled with a monk talking about a Hail Mary. uh, The Hail Mary aspect of this prayer I have gained insight into God's love through envisioning what it might be like to actually be given the gift of exchanging Hudson's cancer for my health. I would be ecstatic and would believe that I have found my purpose for being alive, that I have found my purpose for being alive, to die for my son. See that? See that emotion? Now that's a sinful man. Jesus once said to a group of folks, who were listening to him. He said, if your child asked for a fish, you wouldn't hand him a snake. If he asked for bread, you wouldn't hand him a stone. And you being maliciously evil, that's the term he used. He was a charmer. (laughs) You being maliciously evil, know how to give good gifts to your children so much more will he not give you a good gift called the Holy Spirit. This is a sinful man, but he's experiencing the dynamics. Suffering and pain and death doesn't have all that great of a meaning if it can be exchanged for the rescue of a loved one. I would be ecstatic and would believe that I have found my purpose for being alive. I would run around as if I had won the lottery knowing that my cancer could be a way for Hudson to be free of his disease would be the most precious gift imaginable. And this is his Catholic name, Little Brother Paul of the Cross. Now, let me illustrate this another way by a group illustration. I'm going to invite three people up one at a time. First, Jesus. Your name is Jesus. I am totally disinterested in your real name. All right. Come on over here. No, over here. Okay, you got it. He's Jesus. I'm God the Father. He's the Son of God. I'm God the Father. And we have loved each other from eternity. I think he is the most wondrous person, the Son. And you like me. Love you, Dad. Yeah. Earlier in the first service, my son called me bro. (laughs) Uh, And theological confusion abounds. (laughs) So, yeah. And we love each other. We enjoy the experience of love, the love of relationship. The Trinity is a profound relationship. That's the power of it. We have one God and three persons. And at the center of it is delight and passionate love. So, we love each other. But there's a third person. The Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit could come up here. Now, the Holy Spirit has to have two qualities. One, she has to be a woman. And two, she has to be short. (laughs) So, she can come back here. And you don't see her. Because the Spirit of God never shows up in, in a form. The Son of God, God the Father, have a form. You don't. But... The reason that we pick a female is in the Bible, each member of the Trinity has masculine and feminine characteristics. It's true. It's not heresy. It's reality. And the female characteristics of the Trinity were poured into the woman. The masculine characteristics of the Trinity were poured into the man. That's why those two genders are really important. They're critically important. To understand humanity, you have to understand those two genders. So, we've got a lady back there, and her role is to press the truth into the heart. Now we have a young Christian, and if you would join us, and if you could slide into the middle, and we're going to put our arms around you, but don't become nervous. <laughs> what is your name? Kristen. Kristen. No. Oh, that's interesting. My hand's shaking. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kristen, let me ask you a few questions. Can the father become the son, or is the son a unique person apart from the father? Mm-hmm. Can he become the son? No. No! Good. I'll say it with confidence. <laughs> No. 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 Each person of the Trinity is a unique person. Can the Holy Spirit become God the Father? No. No, because they're eternal persons in a profound loving relationship. Can the Son become the Holy Spirit? No. Each is unique unto himself, each person of the Trinity. Now, Christian, Kristen, great name. Kristen, <laughs> you're made in the image of God. Part of that image is that you're a unique person. There is no other Christian in the universe, nor will any other Christian ever exist. You are it, and you are loved. There is no other. And if you did not exist, there would be a hole in God's universe Mm -hmm. and a hole in God's heart. I'm not being melodramatic. That's the way this stuff works. We're loved. How does it feel to be unique? Great. It should, Mm -hmm. it should. Now let me explain. The father and the son want to share the relationship that they have with each other, with you, They want to expand the family of God to human beings made in the image of God. And so they've brought you into the circle of love, the wondrous circle of love. Your destiny is not to be a mere church member. Your destiny is to participate in the eternal circle of love. So the job of the Holy Spirit is to take that truth and pat it into her brain. Yes. Because it has to become subjective to be powerful. Keep it up.
0: (laughs) Christians are tough cases.
1: It's a hard job. Pastors can't do it. The Spirit of God has to do it. It has to become emotionally rich because out of emotional richness comes courage to tell the truth to this world. If it's a concept, we lack courage. If it's fire, we share. So, our arms are around you. Where should your arms be? No. <laughs> around you? Around us. <laughs> and there.
0: Not at this point.
1: You'll mess it up. (laughs) Around
0: us.
1: (laughs) Modest people in North Carolina. (laughs) Around us. What is our Christian responsibility? To simply love back. To love as we've been loved. To love back. But to love back emotionally, out of delight, out of pleasure, because we understand how deep the love is. We're a gift from the Father to the Son. The Father was delighted to crush his Son. He loves us the way he loves Jesus. And with that, let us pray and thank you. Great job, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Let's pray.